From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. In this episode of Straight Talk, we take a hard look at domestic violence and Washington's Tiffany Hill law meant to protect the lives of victims. Tiffany Hill was the mother of three, a Marine Corps sergeant who was gunned down by her estranged abusive husband in 2019 in a Vancouver school parking lot in front of her children. The community, lawmakers, and law enforcement were so moved and outraged by her murder, they worked together to pass the Tiffany Hill law. It provides real-time electronic monitoring, letting victims of domestic violence know when their abuser is nearby. It's something the law's sponsor says could have saved Tiffany's life. How does the monitoring work? We'll get a demonstration. And how is it working in Clark County? Plus, why aren't more Washington counties implementing the law? Welcome to my guest, the sponsor of Senate Bill 5149 that became Tiffany's Law, State Senator Linda Wilson of Vancouver. Sergeant Tanya Wolstein, who was the investigator on the Tiffany Hill case and has worked on the initiative ever since. And Brian Farrell, the Clark County Court Administrator, who, along with Sergeant Wolstein, did the planning and implementation of the new electronic monitoring technology. Welcome to Straight Talk. It's nice to have you all here. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Let's start with the Sergeant. Tell us a little bit about Tiffany Hill and what happened when she was killed. Uh, Tiffany moved to Washington. She had been in the military and uh, had moved quite a bit all over the country. She moved to Washington with Keeland and in September of 2019 she called police after Keeland had uh, assaulted her and given her a concussion. Uh, Keeland was taken to jail at that point. He was arrested and uh, once he was released, he began stalking her. He uh, over and over again uh, violated the no contact order. He placed a tracker on her car. He showed up at places where she, there's no reasonable way he would have known she was there. Uh, he text messaged her repeatedly over and over again. Uh, Tiffany reported over and over these violations and Keeland was arrested again uh, and booked again in jail. At that point, his bail was raised. However, he was able to post that bail. He got out and within five days of his release, uh, he had obtained a stolen firearm and went to his children's school where he killed Tiffany, shot her mother with all three of their children in the back of the car and all on his youngest daughter's birthday. Oh my goodness. And he fled and, and took his own life. He fled, uh, the police pursued, he got out of the vehicle and he took his own life. And, and Tiffany told the court, didn't she, that she thought that he was going to kill her? She did. She told the court uh, through her personal attorney that she believed strongly that he was going to kill her. The prosecutor, Lauren Boyd, argued for a million dollar bail saying that he was such a danger to her uh, and referenced our danger assessment saying that he was, he was, at that time, it was the highest risk of lethality that we had had up to that point. Uh, which was also included in police PC statements. Everyone was saying that he is a danger to her and he will kill her if he gets the chance. And Senator Wilson, you were working on, on this legislation before Tiffany was murdered. How did her murder impact you? How did it hit you? Well, when I first heard about it, I was just, it, it broke my heart because I'd been running the legislation for the last three years. So 2018, didn't, it didn't pass. 2019, it didn't pass. And then, of course, in November of 2019 is when the tragedy happened. And, um, you know, having, knowing, it was, a, it was a, her, her um, situation was exactly what this technology would have 
helped her with. And we, many of us believe that if the technology had been available, she would have used it to protect herself and would be alive today. What did it take to get this legislation passed? It was, it was a village, truly. Um, I worked very closely with Tanya and um, the prosecutor and Tiffany's um, very good friends and her, the, uh, her community and her school. Um, they actually would drive up in the morning at six o'clock in the morning, several of them did, to attend a hearing. And any time that bill hit a snag, they were there, they were on the phone. I mean, it was amazing. And it was bipartisan, it was unanimous, and uh, it, was, it really was a work of the entire community. And this really hits you personally too because you have lived experience with domestic violence. Tell yes. us about that. Well, I was, I experienced domestic violence. Um, I witnessed it as a child. And, you know, even though I wasn't the one that actually was being physically abused, I was watching it. And, you know, I, I, I felt the anxiety and the worry and the fear that comes with domestic violence victims, what they feel. That doesn't go away. And so I, um, you know, it, you shouldn't have to live that way. And so that's why this is so important to me is to help these victims, you know, in a better situation. And then Brian, I know this is important to you too. And you were really involved with the implementation, the testing of this technology. Tell us what went into that. It was a year-long process with strong collaboration from every law enforcement agency, prosecuting attorney's office, uh, both Superior and District Court, um, our 911 dispatch center. Uh, we had meetings every, every two weeks to try to get all the policies, protocols, everything streamlined. And then we sought out um, a vendor that, that had the capability of giving us what we wanted in terms of a, an ankle bracelet that would, that would notify victims. Uh, we tested, uh, Tanya and I um, played, she played the victim, I played the offender for, for months, um, taking you know, a bracelet home uh, and just testing it out live. So we would set up exclusion zones, we would, um, I would drive into those exclusion zones, uh, they would run through the, the entire process and we found a technology that did not work. And I'm glad that we tested out multiple vendors so that we found one device that we know works and has worked pretty much every time that we've, uh, we've had an incident in the last year. Tanya, tell us about, about the testing and, and your involvement with the testing. Uh, in my involvement with the testing, <laughs> poor Brian was the offender. And uh, I know one time I was uh, going to a call, apparently going past his house late at night, not knowing, and his uh, bracelet lit up and, and started alarming. It makes a very loud noise and startled his whole family. Uh, but one of the things that we found uh, very concerning was that the exclusion zone matches the distance provision of the restraining order. So if you can't come within a thousand feet, well, when Brian would drive up to where my location was, I would get the notice pretty much instantly, but I had seconds to try to move or go somewhere or do something else. And so we instituted a buffer zone as well to give a little bit more time to the victim, a little bit more notice, like, hey, you know, we're not in an order violation yet. However, he's close by, he's nearby, and you need to take action, whatever that, and institute the safety plan that we pre-planned. So there were some kinks you had to work out. On this. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, tell us, before we look at a demonstration, Brian, tell us a little bit about what we're gonna see. How does it work? So when somebody's ordered to this equipment in court, um, in Clark County, it is, it's a condition of release. So we install this equipment in the jail prior to 
um, an offender being released from custody. And when they install the bracelet, uh, they, go, they log into the, the main database, they program everything, they program exclusion zones, buffer zones, um, and then the victim in court or through a victim's advocate program uh, will be notified that they can go down and, and get the application put on their phone as well. Um, this is uh, the device that, that is placed on an offender's ankle. Uh, and uh, Would you hold that up for us again so we yeah, can get a, a, yeah, a shot sure. of that? So this is the device that we put on um, the offender's ankle. Um, there's a few things that are unique to this device. This is the only device and the only program where we utilize an actual steel cuff that at this point cannot be cut off, um, which happens on a lot of basic electronic home monitoring devices. Um, and it's got braided wire through here, so if they even attempt to cut it off, that braided wire, if it gets cut, it will notify a monitoring center um, and then uh, also the victim. So the victim knows if this gets tampered with, um, it also has pressure sensors, so if you try to try to take the casing off or you try to remove the, the actual strap, it will send a notice to the victim and notify the monitoring center as well. There's a microphone here, there's a speaker here. Uh, the monitoring center can actually talk to the offender through the speaker and communicate back and forth and they record all conversations. Uh, and, and so that's pretty much the device. It has a, a lifespan, a battery pack of about 55 hours. And so once they're installed, once they're released from custody, if, if they were to walk, drive, however, if they ever got this piece of equipment close to a buffer zone, then the victim gets a push notification immediately. Uh, they get a text message and an email, so they go through all of the, the steps. Uh, and then if they go into an actual exclusion zone, a stationary exclusion zone, then law enforcement is notified through our dispatch center and law enforcement will go uh, to the call of a restraining order in progress. After that call is made, then the protocol is that the monitoring center calls this device and lets the offender know you're in a restricted area, you need to leave. Uh, and there's also a, a really loud siren that goes off. So if they're in public some way, somehow, uh, everybody around you will know that something's going on. Um, so there's a lot of alerts. There's a lot of uh, steps and technology that go into from the beginning to the end of, of that, that process. Well, both you and, and Sergeant Wolstein demonstrated this for us earlier this week. So let's take a, a look at the demonstration. Uh, on June 6th, we hit our first year using this program. So here's the, the steel strap. The victim gets a push notification, a text, and an email. So right now we're in the exclusion zone. So the processes should have started for law enforcement to be notified by the monitoring center. And see, okay, here he enters the actual exclusion zone. Hello, this is the track room monitoring center. All calls are recorded. Our monitoring shows that you have entered an exclusion zone. Do you have permission to be in that area? So we can see when he was there, how long he was there, where he was going, if he's stationary or if he's mobile. And we heard those alarms going off there. Senator, when you watch that demonstration, are you convinced that could have saved Tiffany's life? Well, because the technology follows the victim and it's with them everywhere. And the fact that he was in the parking lot for 20 minutes beforehand, he would have been inside that exclusion zone. And so she would have been alerted 20 minutes as soon as he showed up there while she was at the school. So I feel quite confident that had she had it, yes, she would be alive today. And is this really working, Sergeant? I mean, do you, have you seen this work in practice? We have, unfortunately, even though offenders know 
they're being monitored, we've had many violations. And uh, the device also has something that allows us to uh, track and have faster pings every 15 seconds or so. Uh, I had one instance where uh, he started on the, the west side of the city and went all the way to the east side and we followed him uh, all the way to the exact parking space that he was in and then made an arrest. Uh, we've had offenders, and these are dangerous offenders. Uh, we had an offender uh, loosen all of the lug nuts on his uh, ex-significant other's tires uh, to try to essentially cause a wreck and then potentially kill her and her child. Oh my goodness. Uh, he had stalked her. He had, he had continuously violated the orders that he was issued every time he was arrested. And for him, it's worked as a deterrent because he hasn't violated. He knows that we are watching and we know where he is. How many of these devices, Brian, are being used right now in Clark County? So we average about 12 clients on this equipment every single day. Um, and they go on and off depending on you know what status their case is in with the court. Uh, so about 12 every single day. We have capacity for 50, and we actually have capacity to go above and beyond that. Um, and I know we'll talk about it in a minute, but with, with um, the passage of uh, a funding bill to help pay for some of this, um, it will be more widely utilized with that assistance from, from the, the state of Washington. So. We, we've looked at uh, other options as well. I know we have one superior court judge who has asked if we could utilize this for sexual assault victims also. So we're gonna be looking into that in terms of expansion. But right now we have about 12 people every single day on this, on this piece of equipment. And Sergeant, you told me an example about a carjacking that crossed into both states and this worked. Yes, it's, it's, we all know that domestic violence offenders often offend in other ways. And we had a, a person on, on the monitoring and he came down to Portland. He carjacked a car. Uh, Portland was in a pursuit with him. He was able to escape over the bridge into Washington. Uh, and there, during this process, he was trying to remove his device and tamper with it. So we got an alert uh, that he was trying to take this device off, which cued us to both check on the victim and see where he, he had been leading up to this tamper alert. And in doing that, we saw, oh, he was going 100 plus miles an hour across the bridge at the same time that this pursuit was happening. And we were able to connect him to that. And we were also able to make sure that the victim was safe, her children were safe, and that he was not at her residence uh, harming her. So this works, and as effective as it is, however, there aren't a lot of counties using it in Washington. KGW did an investigation in November and we sent out letters to all 39 Washington counties asking if they were using this technology. We only heard back from half of them and of those that responded, only Clark County mm -hmm. at that time was using the technology. Why, why aren't more counties using this, Senator? I really believe it's because the lack of knowledge that it's even out there and it's not for lack of trying. I mean, we've, I've, I've worked with the uh, administration of courts uh, they were supposed to get the vendor information together. They did. So the vendors are available. It's just a matter of getting the counties um, to know that the technology is out there. And so. And what about funding? Well, the funding, uh, it's always been an issue, right? I've always tried to get the funding since I started running the bill. And w of course, when the bill passed, the funding was not in there. And so I was able this last year uh, to get about almost $2 million that will be used for the jurisdictions so that their money is not a hindrance to 
getting this technology be, to be used. Are you hearing from other counties? Are you hearing from other states asking you about how this is working? Yes, I have. I've heard from other uh, victims or and as well as uh, relatives of victims. I've heard from uh, court jurisdictions and judges and other legislators in other states. And um, because I don't know how they hear about it, but they are. And so they're trying to get that passed in their own state. Have you heard from Oregon? Do you know if, if they've no, reached out? I have not. <laughs> seems like it'd be good technology for the state sure. of Oregon. Yes. Brian, what would you say to encourage other counties to get on board with this? I would say reach out. Reach out to, uh, to Clark County. Uh, we spent a long time and did a lot of work in getting this the way that 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 we want it. Um, it can be done in different ways as well that maybe fit uh, the law within the laws of other states and fit within other jurisdictions. But definitely reach out to us. We're happy to help. We're happy to collaborate with anybody who wants to know. Um, share our copies, you know, copies of our policies and procedures and how we how we built the program. We're happy to guide anybody through that. So if anybody wants it, more information, please contact myself or Sergeant Wolstein, uh, and we'll we'll be happy to help. Sergeant, from your point of view, what would you say to convince other counties to, to try this technology? I would say, as a domestic violence detective, when I was in that unit and on patrol where I am now, one of the most frustrating things is that you know a victim is in danger and you do not know where the offender is. And you do safety plans, you do all these things to try to keep your victim safe, but it, it is a constant stress and a constant worry. and. It, it is terrible to tell a victim, well, hopefully we'll find him, but call if he comes back. I mean, that is not something we like saying to, to a victim of domestic violence, we know the danger. So this technology will literally lead you within 15 feet of the offender's location at any given time. So these high-risk victims are you have an actual tool that will lead you right to the offender and you can keep her safe and you can hold him accountable uh, and avoid having uh, situations like Tiffany Hill. Senator, what does it mean to you that you were able to pass this legislation, have it signed into law in honor of Tiffany Hill? Well, Tiffany was a young mother. She was a loyal friend and she was a former Marine. And so very brave woman. And I, and I believe that um, it, she, we wanted this to, um, help her in a way, we did not want her, to, her death to be in vain. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as, she, as she was the, a Marine and honored her, served her country honorably, she also continues to serve in this way. Indeed, indeed she does. Senator, Sergeant Brian Farrell, thank you for joining us. We're gonna take a break now, but we will continue our conversation when we come back. And we'll find out more about how prevalent the incidents of domestic violence are. And if you or someone you know needs help or support, we're going to show those hotlines that you can call anytime. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about Washington's Tiffany Hill Law, named in honor of Tiffany Hill, a young Vancouver mother of three, gunned down by her abusive, estranged husband. The law provides real-time electronic monitoring of a victim's abuser and notifies the victim when the abuser is nearby.
Welcome once again to my guest, Washington State Senator Linda Wilson, who sponsored the bill, Sergeant Tanya Wolstein, the investigator on the case, and Brian Farrell, the Clark County Court Administrator, who's in charge of the implementation of this new technology. Welcome once again. We're talking about such an important, serious topic, domestic violence, and I think people may be surprised Tanya, how prevalent incidents of domestic violence are. Will you and the senator talk a little bit about how common it is, how many case numbers we have? Absolutely. Domestic violence affects every demographic. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter how much money you have, it, it, it is everywhere. Um, even in Vancouver, we have about 5,000 cases a year and more than half of our person's crimes are domestic violence crimes. Half of the crimes, person crimes, are mm -hmm. domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you respond to a lot of domestic violence calls, and we you do. have. Yes. Uh, we typically see anywhere between 20 and 40 percent of our calls on a given day are domestic violence related. And Senator, you have some numbers from the state of Washington. Right. Well, up. It's nearly 14,000 where the domestic violence uh, pr protection orders or, or orders of um, uh, no contact are those, are about 15% of those are the, the uh, no contact orders. I'm kind of no contact order violations. Right, violations. Yeah. And what was the 60,000 number that you? That's mentioned? the total number of domestic violence incidents in the state, in of, the state Washington. of Washington in 2020, which was up like uh, Tanya said, 20%. So in the pandemic, you saw an increase. We did. During COVID, we saw about a 20% increase uh, over the prior year. And we've still, we're still on track with that continued uh, increase. It stayed steady at the 20%, but that 20% jumped during COVID. And you said when people are unemployed, people are quarantined together, then they, it goes up. Absolutely. We do a, a danger assessment to, to assess what are our risks of lethality. And one of those factors is, has a, is a person unemployed. Uh, it is a risk factor that adds fin financial stress and stress to the relationship. And uh, it, it is a lethality factor. Uh, and then being quarantined together where we're not leaving the house obviously exacerbates existing abuse issues. And uh, I believe that a lot of the uh, increases due to COVID related issues. And you've seen the trauma of domestic violence firsthand. Those have got to be tough calls. They are tough calls and it doesn't end when the call ends. It doesn't even end for the victim when the offender is put in jail. Uh, the, this is lifelong trauma. It's lifelong trauma for their children. And we've had victims who we've successfully prosecuted their offender, but going through what the abuse at the event, the offender perpetrated is so bad that they have taken their own lives. Oh, it's just tragic. Brian, we're almost out of time, but I wanna give you each an opportunity to, to have a final thought. Brian, about 45 seconds for a final thought. I just, just wanna say how valuable some, a program like this is to victims of domestic violence. And, uh, you know, for somebody who's already been traumatized and is going through the court process, to have this added security, this added tool that will help them sleep at night, that will help them, you know, know that their children are safe at their daycare or at a school uh, is just so important, you know, that I mean, I can't say that enough. It's just a very valuable program. Mm -hmm. And Sergeant Wolstein, about 30 seconds. 
Yeah, I would say the same thing. These are serious crimes. These are traumatic crimes and they are generational and the violence continues and continues. Both Brian and I are very happy to help anyone that wants to set up this program, both within the state and in other states. This has been a very successful program in Clark County and we would love to see that, uh, like have other people join, join the program. So we're very happy to help with that. Well, we hope the next time we do this show, there are a lot more counties that are implementing this all across the country. Senator, uh, about 30 seconds left. Well, I just want to say that you're not out there alone. There's a lot of people out there that want to help you. This particular program will give you a sense of control. Um, you don't have to keep looking over your shoulder because it goes with you. And, you know, so many of these victims, um, they're, they fear for their life every day of their life. And, and I think that that's why this is so important. And I'm really happy that Clark County is the gold standard here that we have. Well, thank you for your work on this legislation, right. Senator Sargent, for all your service in, in Vancouver, Brian, for your service in Vancouver and in Clark County. Thanks for making this happen and thanks for being here on Straight Talk. And as the Senator said, there is help available for victims of domestic violence. And here are numbers you can call for support. This is a number that's uh, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, open 24-7-800-799-7233. In Clark County, there's also the Safe Choice Domestic Violence Program, and you can call that number locally. They accept collect calls, or you can call toll-free, 800-695-0167. And I want to thank you for watching Straight Talk. Remember, Straight Talk's available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're off next week because of the 4th of July, so we'll see you in two weeks for Straight Talk.